Well, I'm just going to uh, pray and we'll go home. <laughs> that was really good. I love it when he said the check cleared. Um, we are in Acts chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 11. Uh, we'll be in verses 1 through 18. And as Jordan said, uh, this is part 4 of our section that we've been looking at. When we looked at Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, uh, this little section is on the conversion of both uh, Cornelius to Christianity and the conversion of Peter from uh, his deep-seated racial intolerance. And so as we're looking at that, um, we've been looking at it over for the last three weeks, and this is week four. So the first three weeks, we looked at Acts chapter 10, all of it, and now we're at Acts chapter 11, and I'm going to do verses 1 through 18. And then this little section here that we've been looking at on the gospel, re- re- racial reconciliation, uh, the, the salvation of Peter now, uh, not Peter, but the salvation of Cornelius and thus all the Gentiles being saved into the family of God will conclude after this week and then we'll go into Acts chapter 11 verse 19 where you can see the church at Antioch. So um, let's pray and then we will we'll jump into Acts chapter 11 verses 1 through 18. I want to say a couple things and then we'll read the text. So let's pray together. Lord we thank you so much for your love, your mercy, your grace that you've given to us in Christ We pray that our minds and hearts would be open as we see uh, this last section on on chapter 11, 10 and 11, and that we would uh, think about the implications of what it means to be a believer in Jesus. As we see Peter come back and tell the story of what just happened, uh, I pray that our hearts would be moved with compassion uh, as he reports the story, but also, Lord, that our hearts would be moved by what we see a true believer in Christ is. And as we see this report, Lord, that um, you would stir our affections for Jesus, for what he's done for us on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we're in Acts chapter 11, the gospel is starting to go forward now. The, the good news of Jesus has started in Jerusalem. And as it says in Acts chapter 1-8, it's being fulfilled. It's moved from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and now going to the ends of the earth. The gospel in Acts chapter 10 is moved from Jews and Gentiles uh, in Acts 1 through 9, and now at uh, 11, it's gone to the Gentiles, and thus we'll start moving to the ends of the earth. And so um, in Acts chapter 10, we've seen the whole story of how it happened. If you remember in Acts chapter 10, you can see that there was a man named Cornelius, and <clears throat> God visited him in a vision in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 9, and told him he needed to listen to a guy named Peter at around the same time at verse 9. Peter went into, he went up to the house to pray and he went into a trance and, you know, animals were falling from the sky. He told him to eat these kinds of animals that he never had eaten before. And he's like, no way, I'll never do it. And then after that, you can see, he says, well, what I've called clean, don't, um, don't call unclean or don't call common, don't call disdained. And so Peter says, okay. And then the next day, men showed up from Cornelius' house and he went with them over to uh, Cornelius' house. We can see that they finally uh, meet and kind of, Uh, verses 25 through 33, and then at that particular point in verse 34, Peter preaches the gospel to not just Cornelius, but all of his family. Uh, And we see that the Holy Spirit fell when he preached the gospel in verse 44. Holy Spirit fell, it's poured out. And then as they were were listening to the gospel preached, the Holy Spirit fell, they all got saved. And Peter uh, said, well, let's baptize them. And so he baptized them all. I mean, this is an amazing report, right? You can imagine, um, this is brand new for Peter, 
people he's never ever expected would ever come to know Christ have come to know Christ. But now it's kind of all over. The dust has settled, if you will. Verse 46, they ask him for to stay, stay for some days. He stays with people that aren't his you know, race, aren't his familiarity, aren't his, um, his, his family, if you will. Uh, but now they're in the family of God. He stays with them. The dust settles. It's all kind of over, but he's still kind of excited. And it's time to go home. It's time to go back home to where, he, where he's you know, always called home and tell them what happened. So you can imagine there's some excitement in his mind. There's some excitement in his heart. I'm, I'm going to tell everybody what just went down. It's kind of like whenever, if, if you ever had the opportunity to lead someone to Christ or if you've ever preached somewhere and a lot of people got saved, you're like, you know, I want to I go home and tell everybody what happened. Like explain the situation. I'm, I'm kind of excited. I'm kind of pumped up and I'm ready to go home and just say, guess what happened? Like there's so, so, so he's, he's going home in that kind of mindset. And we're picking up in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, seeing the whole report. Now, in this, particular, in this particular time, Luke is going to basically completely, well, not completely, but in verse, in verse in 18 verses, summarize chapter 10. And I've said this before, that Luke, as he's writing, sees fit to say, I know that I explained the entire situation in Acts chapter 10. Um, you know, he doesn't use chapter numbers, but you know, just roll with it. And so, but what I want to do is, for all those that were going to hear this, I'm going to repeat the entire story again. I'm going to say it twice in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. And while I'm doing this, I want to do it because um, it's a crucial moment for Luke. Because Luke himself is a Gentile. And as he's a Gentile, he wants to emphasize in his writings so that all generations that follow and read this would see Gentiles are coming to know Christ now. And so because of that, he's, he's repeating, if you will, the entire story in report form not in narrative form. So we're picking up at Acts chapter 11. You can look with me at verse 1. You can see, Now the apostles and the brothers who um, were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So they heard the report. And so here it comes. Peter's coming back. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, you know, this is, this is the trek home. They're not like, get back here, Peter. I need to talk to you. It's like uh, he's just going back and he's telling me. And when it says, so when he returned to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. The circumcision party were Christians, but they also said, since we're Christians, you need to also follow some of the old Jewish laws, i.e. dietary laws and circumcision. These things are necessary. They're, they're likely Christians. They just also say, these things are also important. You can't just trust Jesus and that's it. You need to trust Jesus and still be a Jew. Hold to the dietary laws. And so they hear Peter is hanging out with uncircumcised, non-dietary following people. And so when he's coming back, they have, some, they have some beef with him. You can say they criticized him saying, you went to the uncircumcised men and you ate with them. But Peter began explaining it to them in order. No, no, let me tell you. What happened was, in, in verse 5, um, I was in the city of Joppa praying and I went into a trance. We, we need to realize that they don't know anything about the trance. All right? they, they don't know anything. They just, all they know is their leader their follower went and hung out with people that he's never supposed to hang out with. They don't know, they don't know the benefit of the sheep follow, following. They don't know anything, right? So they're just, they're kind of ticked and, and question what's going on. So he went to a trance and I saw a vision, something like a great sheep descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts and prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, because I'm like y'all. Like, I, I agree, right? No, no, no. For nothing commanded or common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call uncommon. That's chapter 10, verse 15. 
This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent from Caesarea, sent from Cornelius' house. And the Spirit told me, that's interesting, right? Told me making, um, to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house <clears throat> and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter which he would declare a message by which you which be, will be saved, and you and all of your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell, just like it says in 1044. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Remember Acts 2? It was the same thing. So this, is, this sounds legit, guys. Don't, don't, don't criticize. And I remember the word of the Lord and how he said, now we didn't get this last week when the Holy Spirit fell. And he just, if you remember last week when he said, we should baptize them. Here's what he remembered. So we're in, the, we're in the head of Peter whenever he said, let's baptize him. This is what he said. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit. If then God gave the same Spirit to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to say that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Peter comes back, gives the report, and as he's given the, the report of all the amazing move of God, that all the races now are included in the family of God, as he, as he walks back up, there's already immediate pushback. The Judaizers, or as it's called here, the circumcision party, comes right back up to him, and they want to uh, know what's going on. Now, this sermon that we've been looking at over the last four weeks is the... The conversion of both the saint and the sinner. So you can go ahead and put the title. Conversion of both the saint and the sinner. Um, But what I want to do today, and before you realize or say to yourself, I already know this. There's going to be some things that maybe you haven't thought about. What I want you to see today is what it means to be a Christian. Or the question, what is a Christian? That's what Peter's going to do in this particular text. He's going to answer what is a Christian. Now, just to let you know, if you look in chapter 11 where we are, verse 26... Verse 26, um, for a whole year they met within the church and taught a great many people in Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians. That's the first time they were called Christians in the Bible. Is Acts 11, verse 26. Um, pejoratively, but still, or, you know, trying to make fun of them, but still, nonetheless, called Christians. So, as we are going to look at verses 1 through 18, I want to answer the question, what is a Christian? Now, I know that if you've been a Christian a long time, you're like, I got that. I know that. But I want you to follow with me anyway, because you'll likely maybe see some things that you hadn't thought about, especially as we look at these particular verses, when he says, what is a Christian? So immediately, Peter walks back in to town. There's pushback. Uh, People are wanting to know what's going on. But before that, Luke tells something to us in uh, in verse 1. The apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard, here it is, that the Gentiles had received the word of God. He says, receive the word of God. He uses this exact same phrasing in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. He says, uh, those who received the word were baptized and they were added to the souls of about 3,000. He also says it in Acts chapter 8 verse 14. In verse 14 it says, now the apostles of Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had received the word and they sent to him Peter and John. And here he picks that same language back up in 11.1. He says that they had received the word of God. 
So a Christian first is someone, this is number one. What is a Christian? Number one, a Christian is someone that receives the word of God. Now, Luke also wrote, many of you know, uh, the book of Luke. And as he closed the book of Luke, uh, each book closes with, you know, the great commission statement, Matthew 28, different texts. Luke also has one of those. And as it says in Luke Chapter 24, verse 46 and following, specifically in 47. Thus it is written that the Lord should suffer and on the third day rise again. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed from his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so here in verse 47, he, Luke gives a little bit of insight on what it means to be a Christian. He tells in verse 47 that what's going to be preached or proclaimed is repentance and forgiveness of sins. And so as we're looking at this, what is a Christian for Luke the receiving of the word is also synonymous or the same thing as repenting and being forgiveness of your, forgiven of your sins. He also says it actually in verse 17 where he says, if God, gave them the same gift to them, if God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we hear it is, we believed in the Lord Jesus. So if you're going to put it all together and say, what is a Christian? It's someone, if you want to use all the different phrases. It's someone who receives the word of God. It's someone, as it says in verse 17, believes in the Lord Jesus. Or even in Luke 24, 47, it's someone who repents of their sin and receives forgiveness of their sin. Now, I know you know this, but it's, it's important to understand all these different phrases as we see in the Bible are all using the same kind of idea. They're, they're all using synonymous phrases, even though they're saying it a little bit differently. A Christian is someone that receives the word, receives the gospel. Whenever they trust in Christ, they repent of their sin, they ask forgiveness of their sin, exclusively and only, as it says in verse 17, by believing in the Lord Jesus. Only in the Lord Jesus. There's no other way that we can be saved. So a Christian who is someone who understands it's by Christ and Christ alone that we're saved. That we must put our trust in what he has done for us on the cross. That we repent of our sin, we receive forgiveness of our sin, and by doing that we receive the gospel. We receive the gospel. It is a, an act of God who acts first upon us. Now, that's the first thing about what a Christian is. The second one we're going to see as we look um, in verses 2 through 8. So I want to walk through 2 through 8 and I'll, 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 you'll see the second one. Here it is. So just imagine Peter, he's walking back into town. He's probably pretty excited. He's wanting to tell them everything what happened. And it says immediately, so when Peter walked into Jerusalem or went up to Jerusalem, the cir- circumcision party criticized him saying... You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, um, Peter's excited. And notice they don't say right when he walks in, Hey, we heard people got saved and baptized. Tell us that. That sounds awesome. We want to hear what God's doing. Tell us what God did. They don't say that, right? These these are the, the naysayers. Immediately, they want to enforce their rules. They don't want to hear what God has done. They're not interesting that, interested that God might have done something extremely awesome. They just know people not like us are being hung out with you, Peter, and we don't like that. That's not what we're familiar with. That's not our tradition. They immediately want to force their rules. They have gospel confusion. They have a a misunderstanding of what the gospel is. And they're immediately guilty of a couple isms. First, uh, nationalism. These were Jewish people, and they hated that Peter is associated with a Roman centurion. And so some nationalism is boiling up. They don't want to hear the report. They don't want to hear about these new people. They have nationalism, but also some racism. Peter is eating with another race. Peter is hanging out with them. Peter is hanging out with the uncircumcised. And this makes them angry. Now, as I said, 
we do need to be patient with them. Um, they didn't see the sheet drop. They didn't know that God said you can fa- finally have some bacon. Um, they didn't have the trance or the vision. They just knew that their leader, whom they've been following, is doing something that they all, including Peter, had been told never to do. Ever. And he went and d- did it. And so they're, they're kind of, you know, wanting to know what's going on. But they don't walk up to him and saying, hey, tell us about what God's done. It sounds awesome. But these people um, will eventually turn into what we see throughout the New Testament as a group called the Judaizers. People that whenever Paul goes to a city and plants a church and then leaves, they come in and they say, these people give the, the New Testament apostles trouble the rest of the New Testament. They'll come in and they'll say, yeah, Paul, gospel, great. That sounds wonderful. However, um, you need to also do some more stuff. We believe that, that, that Paul preached the gospel to you, but we want to also say some more to that, which eventually Paul will write the book of Galatians. They didn't understand the scriptures in their entirety. Even all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, it says that all the families of the Lord will be blessed through this coming Messiah. It, that's the Abrahamic covenant in chapter 12. So they misunderstood that. Their main beef was these particular people that you said are walking into the family of God now. They don't follow the dietary laws. And it sounds like you didn't while you were there. They're not circumcised. And so these kinds of questions are popping up now with these, as it's called, the circumcision party or the Judaizers. Um, and they're going to have a different perspective on the gospel. And Paul will have to address it immediately. And so um, Paul will address it in the book of Galatians and even in some other places that their gospel is actually no gospel at all because they're adding to it. They're saying you have to have dietary laws. They're saying you have to have uh, circumcision. And because they have gospel confusion, it drives them to, or pushes them to have, they have a gospel confusion on a horizontal plane, if you will. And because of that, they now have gospel confusion on a, on a vertical plane. Well, I got that wrong. <laughs> they have gospel confusion on a vertical plane. They don't understand that the gospel is belief in Jesus and, and alone and nothing else. You don't have to add to it. And because of that, it changes the way horizontally they deal with people. They, they won't hang out with Gentiles because they think they have it wrong. Uh, I'll, get, I'll, I'll explain it this way. Um, I'm a coffee drinker. No big shock there. Um, and when I drink coffee, because of the grace of God now, about four years ago, I drink it black. That's it. Whenever I drink coffee, I only drink it black. Thanks to Jack and Ben and some other people persuaded me to finally be a man. Still can't grow a beard, but uh, now that I'm a man, I drink coffee and I drink it black. If you add anything to coffee, it ceases to be coffee. You're just drinking a milkshake now. Uh, it's not coffee. It's just a milkshake. This is how I feel that when you add stuff to your coffee, it's not coffee anymore. And likewise, if you add anything to the gospel, it ceases to be the gospel. You can't add dietary laws. You can't add circumcision. You can't add anything. The gospel is the gospel alone. And whenever you add something to it, it ceases to be the gospel. The gospel is faith in Christ and Christ alone. And no dietary laws are necessary for it. No circumcision is necessary for it. So the second thing that we see in verses 2 through 8, even through this, um, this dealing with uh, these Judaizers, in verses 2 through 8 is this. A Christian, number 2, is someone that adds nothing to the gospel. So that plays itself out in your life. You, you should do all kinds of things. You should do all kinds of things as a believer. 
You should pray. You should read your Bible. You should kill sin. You should be on mission. You should love your neighbor. You should do all these things. And in some ways, you can say, Christians need to do these. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say some of these things in just a second, number four. But the heart of the gospel is this. You can't add those things to the message of the gospel and say, unless you do those things, you're not a believer. Now, good works should follow, but not in a way that earns righteousness, but instead gives evidence of righteousness that's already been given. So, a Christian is someone that adds nothing to the gospel. So, whenever you or your friends are walking throughout the week or walking throughout the day, and they're failing miserably, if they're a trusting Christ, if they say, I believe in Jesus, we don't want to put on them legalistic things. Instead, we want to return them to the gospel of what Christ has done for them. And based on that, we say, now that you understand that Christ has declared you completely holy and righteous, walk in such a way that glorifies him. You don't want to say, if you don't read your Bible four times a day, you're not a Christian. That's not true. It's just not true. What about people that don't have Bibles? What if they live in a country they don't have Bibles? They're not a Christian? I mean, there's always something you have to think through logically that's got to make sense for all time. And so while I'm going to say there are horizontal implications, and I'm going to get to that, we have to realize that a Christian adds nothing to the gospel. These Judaizers did. And Peter and later on Paul battled this throughout the New Testament. So Peter recounts the story to them. He says, I explained it to them in order. I was in Joppa. I saw the vision. The sheep fell down um, the four corners. And I closely observed these animals and beasts. And I heard uh, a, a voice say, rise, kill, and eat. And he said, by no means, Lord. I've never done this. I've never had anything like that in my life. And then he says in verse 9, as he says over in chapter 10, verse 15, and the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. It says here in verse 9, the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. And here is, without a question, I mean, this is the full good news of Christ. So we know that we have to believe, we know that we have to receive forgiveness, we know that we have to repent of our sin, we know we have to receive the word of the Lord and believe in Jesus exclusively. We know we can't add anything to it, but as we see this in verse 9, the truth of the gospel is, is in its fullness given to us in this particular verse. When you trust in Christ, whenever you trust in Christ, in this particular text here, it says, what God has made clean, do not call common. This common is, as I said before, understood to be, uh, is to be disdained. It is to be avoided. It is to be rejected. And because of the good news of Christ, we're no longer disdained. We're no longer avoided. We're no longer rejected by God. Because of our faith in Christ, we are now loved. Because of the, the good news of the gospel, we are now no longer rejected. We are called into his family. We're no longer avoided, but instead ushered into his presence. God no longer sees you as common now. As a matter of fact, it says that he's made you clean. He's made you completely clean. And so... The vertical implications are this. A Christian, number three, is someone that is now completely clean and holy in God's sight. Completely clean and holy in God's sight. One of the best ways I think that this is illustrated, and I've said it numerous times, but there's, there's a moment, it's a, just a parable I know, but it illustrates it perfectly in, in Luke 15, where the prodigal son is laying in pig slop, 
dirty as can be. And he's practicing in his head. I'm going to go back to my dad. I'm going to tell him that I've blown all your money. I've blown it completely. I shouldn't be your son anymore. And he's practicing and rehearsing in his head. Kind of right there and on the walk. When I get there, I'm going to say, I'm not, I, I don't deserve to be your son because I've messed it up so bad. Just instead of letting me back in the house and letting me be one of your, your sons, I still want to stay here because I'm hungry and it's miserable compared to where I've been. But just put me back in the, in the back, you know, in one of the servants' homes. Just let me be a servant because being a servant in your house would be better than living in pig slop. So he's rehearsing this, this thing with his, with, in his mind the whole way home. And as he's walking home, it says that the father saw him for a, from a long way off, which, which implies, I know it's just a parable, but it implies that the father would come out every day and stand there and just kind of wait and see. It's just the day. Will he come home? And he sees him from a long way off. And it says that the father sprints out to the son. I mean, I'm, I'm 40. And sprinting, I'm done after about 10 steps. I know it's a parable, but this father in this parable is legit. He sprints all the way out to the eye. And then not only that, doesn't get right to him in like the circumcised party and say, what the world, man? You just No, no, no. As soon as he gets there, the, fa- the son starts launching into the speech. Dad, I know. Just, you know, gives him one of the dumb and dumbers. And then just puts the big hug and starts hugging him. And he says, Dad, this man. No, no, no. You're my son. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is what we mean when we say you're completely clean and holy in God's sight. It's a picture of you're never going to be a servant. You're never going to live in the back. The gospel of Jesus declares you completely holy and righteous. You're my son. You're my daughter. I have, I've declared you completely holy and righteous. Put a robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. My son has come home. He's, he's ushered right into the house. And he has, notice this, perfect relationship with the father now. The gospel says a Christian is someone that is now completely clean and holy in God's sight. What God has made clean do not call common. So let's just take that one step further for you. Whenever you're having like the worst day, you, you chewed out your husband for, you know, leaving the dishes in the sink for the if 50th time or whatever. You know, you're, the guy cut you off in the road. You, you chewed out your wife because she left the dishes in the sink for the fifth time. Whichever one of you needs them up. Um, I'm the one that needs them up. So I feel it. Um, whatever, you know, what, whatever's going on and you're, you immediately, you're, you're going to go to either, you know, pride or just absolutely, you know, I stink at everything. Why do I even try? I'm the worst. I'm terrible. I, I revert to this. And we start telling ourselves, I'm just common. I should be avoided. I should be rejected. I should be, I, I deserve disdain for the way I constantly find myself sinning. I hate it. Listen, go to this and say, what God has made clean, don't call common. If the Father has called you holy, that's just a lie. It's a lie. It's not true. You do not have to walk in that. A Christian is someone that understands that and doesn't preach lies to themselves that they're now disdained by the Father, but instead that the Father loves them. Now, we are going to get into what it looks like based on the fact that we've already said is a Christian adds nothing to the gospel. We need to remember that. There are, what I like to say, horizontal implications. They give evidence. They show that there's been a heart change. 
We can see this in verses 10 through 14. This happened three times and all that was being drawn up into heaven. And behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, uh, in which, in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. So Peter says, in this particular moment, men that I'm never supposed to hang out with showed up at my house. What did I do? I didn't shun them. And the Spirit told me, because I'm walking with the Spirit, God said, go hang out with these particular people that aren't like you, making no distinction. It doesn't matter that they're not like you. In the same way that because you think they're unclean because they eat certain foods, that doesn't matter anymore. You can hang out with them. There's, there's, there's implications on how you're going to love your neighbor now as a Christian. You need to understand this. And so when they showed up, God told him to go with them. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa, bring to me Simon, who is Peter, and he'll declare you a message by which you will be saved. And as and you and your whole household. So here we see the, some horizontal or some implications for Peter. So I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. Number four is what is a Christian? A Christian is someone that practices the horizontal implications of the gospel. We, we can't get around that. It's not necessary in order to know that you're justified. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that when you are a Christian in a broken way, in a way that's being sanctified for the rest of your life, you are going to do this. In this particular text, in verses 10 through 14, Peter hangs out with people that are nothing like him that he never would, and he proclaims the gospel to them. Those are the two things he does. And for us, it's a billion different things. But we do practice the horizontal implications of the gospel. A Christian is someone that sees this as absolutely necessary. I'm going to give you an illustration. Since we're in this particular four-week series talking about race relations, etc. Um, there's, there's a guy in our church. I think y'all know him, Ben. He's a police officer here. And I asked permission, so he knows I'm going to say this. But he's a police officer. And about a, a, a few weeks ago, for sure, I'm not exactly sure on the timeline. I know it was a few weeks ago or so. We all know nationwide there's been some, some strife in the country between... Um, police officers, and the African-American community. And so Ben, who loves Christ, I know him well, he wants to practice the horizontal implications of the gospel. He, he wants to be a good police officer because that's what God wants, but he also wants to practice the horizontal implications of the gospel. Organizes in Rock Hill uh, with Claflin College a, a time for police officers and those in the African-American community to hang out and get to know each other because it begins with relationship. Once we realize that we're all the same. We all have same feelings. We all want, you know, to do well. We all love our families, etc. Once we realize we're the same, then we can start, we can stop um, painting pictures, broad stroke pictures about, about each other that aren't true. And so Ben organizes a basketball game between the cops and uh, the people that go to Claflin. I hear that the cops got pretty, pretty destroyed in the, in the, in the basketball game, um, <laughs> which is no surprise because they're probably all out of shape like me. But... Um, Except for, I hear Ben didn't play, and he's a stud at basketball. But Sean did play, and they lost. So, um, anyway, my whole point is this. My, here's my whole point. I'm dogging on these guys, and they're so much stronger than I am, and they're going to kill me. So, my whole point is this. We have people in our church, and, and, and I could tell other stories. I mean, if you tell me your stories, I want to report your stories, because it's good for you to hear these stories of how you are being a remedy to the city. But Ben, knowing his position that the Lord had put him in, knowing that he wants to be a Christian that practices the horizontal implications of the church, organizes 
something that he's free to do with the city and and it's a success. We can do all these kinds of things. Whatever vocation you have, whatever position you have, you can organize things that, that put on display, demonstrate what the gospel has done in your life and show the horizontal implications of the church. That we need to be the kind of people that love anybody. We love everyone. As Peter said in chapter 10, verse 34, truly understand now that God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter who you are. The Lord wants you to be saved. And so, for him and for us, the horizontal implications are Peter's going to now eat their foods. He's going to hang out with people from different races. Their kids are going to play together. They're going to have... um, They're going to learn each other's cultures in a loving way. They're going to reach out so that they know them, that they evangelize them. And this can go either way. This is either way. This is not just dominant majority culture feeling like they need to evangelize minority culture. That's not what I'm calling for. I'm saying Christians, whoever you are, evangelize and love other people, whoever they are. So it can easily be minority culture who are believers in Jesus, love and evangelize those that are majority culture that are far from Jesus and lost, that they want to evangelize and love them. So don't hear me at all saying this is, hey, majority culture, do what we're supposed to. No, no, no. I'm saying everybody that's a Christian, whoever you are, don't just reach out to people just like you. Instead, because you're a believer in Jesus, love everyone. Know them, evangelize them, eat with them, be friends with them, Your kids hang out with them. You do life with them. They're going to be your best friends. Put them in your weddings. Both ways. This is what happens whenever we live out the horizontal implications of the gospel. That's that's, that's the sliver of pie that we've been dealing with the last four weeks because we've been talking about the gospel and racial reconciliation. But you can fill that in with anything. The horizontal implications of the church can mean killing sin in your life. It can mean going next door and cutting your neighbor's grass because... They don't have a lawnmower. It can be all kinds of things. It can be all kinds of things. We want to love our neighbor well. The last one is this, if you keep going. As it says in verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell, which is what we stopped last week, and we looked at verses 44 through 48 in chapter 10. The Holy Spirit fell. The Holy Spirit fell, and we prayed, even some of you out loud last week, Holy Spirit, fall on remedy. This is what we want. We want to be the kind of church where the Holy Spirit falls and just has free reign to do whatever he wants. Because we believe and trust that he's good and whatever he wants to do will be perfectly right. I want to remind you of a text in John chapter 16 where Jesus talks about the Spirit. This is what he says. And this is important um, for those that aren't, maybe you're you're apprehensive, you aren't sure about the the spirit. This is what he says. I'll I'll pick up at verse 6, but it's really in verse 7. But I said these things to you, um, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's talking about his his leaving. And they're all sad because they've been with him. We don't want you to leave. We don't want you to leave. You're, you're, You're Jesus. Like, we're hanging out with Jesus. We want you here. I mean, we would all probably think that. I mean, if I could pick to have, like, Jesus in the flesh with me, I would want that. And if he's saying, I got to go now, we'd be like, no, don't leave. Could you stay? That's what he tells them. Nevertheless, I tell you, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, 
the helper will not come to you. So Jesus himself says, not just to the apostles, but for us, it's better to have the Holy Spirit fall than for Jesus in the flesh be with us. Number five, a Christian is someone that's filled with the Holy Spirit. A Christian is someone that's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's someone who experiences the filling of the Spirit and they realize that this is better. They realize that this is better. And then when the Spirit indwells them, He guides them. He shows them how they're supposed to live. He helps them. Verse four, number four, practice the horizontal implications of the church. But he also helps them with all number one through three. Don't preach lies to themselves. Remember that God's called them clean. Trust in the word of the Lord. All these different things. Now, here's where it gets pretty amazing. There's a couple things I want to show you as we conclude. First, he says this. Verse 17, then God gave them I love this, the same gift to them that he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus. Peter's just wanting to reiterate, they didn't get like three quarters of the Holy Spirit and we got the fullness. They get all the Holy Spirit just like us. God makes no distinctions, everybody's the same. So who was I to say that I could stand in God's way? If God's gonna do this, I'm not gonna get in his way. And here's where great hope comes. Watch this, because this never happens. This, literally, I have never experienced this before. Look what he says in verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. Never experienced that before. So let's just, let me explain what I mean. Let's say you're having either a theological discussion, sometimes gets a little heated, or even more crazy, political discussion with someone that completely disagrees with you, right? They, they walk out to you like these people in, in, in verse 2. What are you doing, Peter? We heard you're doing something. Like, so th- they're like that. They disagree with you that much. How many times through argumentation, through you know, winsome just talking, have you ever won them over to your position? I have literally never. It's never happened to me. The, and, and vice versa. They've never won me over. It, it usually never happens. When we argue theology or, or, or p- politics or whatever, no one ever says, hmm, that's a great argument. I will change all that I've ever thought. You have convinced me. That's never happened. Sometimes it takes years for them to understand that I'm right. But like, I'm just kidding. But like, literally, think about what happens here. They never, this never happens. You've never, I, we've never done that, right? In a matter of 17 verses, the circumcision party changes their mind. Now, they rechange their mind later. It's only for a time. But watch this. Two things happen. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying. No, listen to what they say. They changed their mind. We, we know this is God because they changed, humans changed their mind by somebody telling them something true. And then it says this. This is what they say. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Well, Peter, what you said is awesome. We're going glor- to be quiet. We're going to glorify God and say, well... Peter's right. I mean, that never happens. No one ever tells me Fudd's right, right? No one ever tells you this. So two things happen. They changed their mind. Intellectually, they heard Peter, and they became convinced that salvation is now to the Jews, and they can also be in the family of God. And second thing is, because they were convinced, they praised God. This causes me to think, not if everybody could just listen to me and come around to my way of thinking they could also fall silent and praise God. That's all I need. People could be better worshipers if they would just listen to me. 
that's not, that's what I want it to be. But that's not what it causes, honestly. It causes me to think, if I would be more quiet and listen to people that are probably telling me something true, I should probably fall silent and listen to people. And maybe I would become a better worshiper. Maybe I would become a better worshiper. You're not going to convince me that the Bible's not, you know, inspired or inerrant. You're not going to convince me of some, some core things. But there are some things that if we stop and listen to people and really hear them, maybe we would have a different perspective. They praised God because they were convinced. They praised the Lord. It wasn't that they wanted to do that, but because God work had, God's work had moved, God had worked in their heart, they started praising him. And I pray that we would have that kind of mindset. What happened was, as Peter brought gospel clarity to them, true gospel clarity, you can't add anything to the, to the, to the gospel. It's not dietary laws and circumcision plus belief in Jesus. It's just belief in Jesus. As Peter brought gospel clarity to them, they had a gospel change in their heart. They, they, they understood the gospel in a more appropriate way. And then literally, this is, they glorified God because they changed their stance. They changed their view. They changed their position. That's astounding. Now, what I want you to see is this. If we were to take kind of a big step back and see something, um, what we have is in chapter, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, Peter explains the gospel to these particular people who are Christians, and it changes them. These are people just like him. But what he did is use the gospel. He explained to them, you can't add anything to the gospel. You're misunderstanding. So he, he, he preached the gospel, and their hearts got changed, and they glorified God. And chapter 10, when he went to people, not to people who were just like him, but the people who weren't like him. What was his tactic? Something different? It wasn't something different. He preached the gospel to them. In both instances, Peter preaches the gospel. It changes the heart of the people not like you in chapter 10. It changes the heart of the people just like you in chapter 11, 18. Which is what brings me to this. This is why if you think I'm a broken record, I am. Because I am going to beat the gospel drum every single week. You, you hear, this is the, why you say the same thing? Exactly, because even here, Peter did the same thing in both... People that were just like him and people that were nothing like him. He had the same answer for both of them. I just need to explain the gospel to him better. And that's your need. Whether you understand it or not, whether I understand it or not, it's our need. More and more, we need to press into a deeper, each week, press into a deeper understanding of what Christ has done for us. It is the only answer. That's why me Jack and Joe and whoever the Lord makes an elder here one day will beat the same drum every single week, helping you see Christ's death for you, his resurrection giving you life, and looking at that particular truth in a different way every single week. The gospel is the only answer to racial reconciliation. The gospel is the only answer to you, yours and my messed up broken life. The gospel is the only answer for your broken marriage. The gospel is the only answer for you to walk in sanctification. So I want you to see that in both chapters with whoever, whomever, whomever Peter is dealing with, he only has one answer, and that's the gospel. Now, if we even take a bigger step back, Stott, John Stott points out something to us. We've seen the conversion of Saul in chapter 9, and we've seen the conversion of Cornelius in chapter 10, and Stott says this, Luke has now recounted the conversions of both Saul and Cornelius. The difference between these two men is considerable. 
In race, Saul was a Jew, Cornelius was a Gentile. In culture, Saul was a scholar, Cornelius a soldier. In religion, Saul was a bigot, Cornelius a seeker. Yet both were converted by the gracious initiative of God. Don't miss that. God was seeking them, and he always finds us. Both received forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And both were baptized, and both were welcomed to the Christian family. Here it is, on equal terms. Both Jew and Gentile, in equal terms. This fact is a signal testimony to the power and impartiality of the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And that first and second doesn't mean second class to the Gentile, because we already know that God shows no partiality. So as we take this big step back, we see not only is the gospel the answer in every conversation that we have with whomever it is and even ourselves. But God is in the business of saving anyone. From Saul to Cornelius and anyone else on that huge continuum. He's in the business of saving all of them. That means you and everyone you know. That's amazing news. That's amazing news. We're going to go into a time of Lord's Supper now. Where we look at the beauty of the gospel. We understand again our important need to have the gospel proclaimed to us and understood by us. And we'll have a tangible example as we hold the bread and the cup. If, uh, if you have any questions regarding these last four weeks, I would invite you to talk to me or Jack or Joe. We would love to hear maybe some of the things that God's done in your life over these four weeks as we've tackled this, I think, pretty timely topic on the gospel and racial reconciliation. Um, if you have any questions, we would love to talk and hear some of the cool things that the Lord is doing. If you have any questions, just like, you know, I don't understand some of the things you're saying. You just, you just have honest questions. We want to talk to you about those things as well. Um, and if you have some stories about what the Lord is doing in your life and how you're seeing yourself and your family and your community group be a remedy to the city, we want to hear those as well. It's very important for me and Jack and Joe, to put these stories in front of you so that you can all rejoice in what the Lord is doing in our church. So, as we go into the time of the Lord's Supper, if you're a believer in Jesus, then this is a time for you to reflect, think, and pray. Um, And whenever you're ready, come forward and get both the bread and the cup and come back to your seat, and I'll lead us together corporately. If you're not a believer in Jesus, this is what I want you to do. This time is still for you, but just in a different way. This time is for you to watch. This time is for you to listen. This time is for you to not take the bread and the juice, but observe believers in Christ, physically remembering what the Lord has done for us, and then have the gospel preached to you in a separate way than what we had in the, in the sermon. So I'm going to pray, and then as you're ready, you can come forward. Uh, just a reminder that there's wine and juice, so you want to make sure you pick the one that you want, and then come back to your seat and Jordan will lead us in a song as well. You can certainly sing and worship. Uh, Hopefully, as I've preached, the very thing that I've preached has happened. You've decided to say, I will fall silent and praise the Lord. He's he's convinced me of the goodness of the gospel even again. And I want to sing to the Lord. And then we'll sing corporately together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your good news. Thank you for your word. We're so grateful that you would give your son... We're so grateful that 
you didn't leave us in sin, but in your mercy and kind, which you could have. You could have left us to our own devices since we willfully chose to walk away from you. When Adam and Eve chose to sin, you could have just left us, but you didn't. Immediately, you promised a Savior in Genesis chapter 3. And the only way that we could be saved was God becoming man, and so you sent your Son. And so I pray that the goodness of that, the truthfulness of that, restore our affections for Jesus. Be with us now as we take the Lord's Supper. I pray that the beauty of the Supper will be real to us as we remember all that you've done for us. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.